Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Dear Holy Spirit, come into our hearts and quiet our minds so that we can hear your word clearly. Teach us to learn your ways and put them into action. Encourage our faith and strengthen our will. Amen. Our scripture today comes from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Hear these words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Chapelwood. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So my name is Paul Myler. For those of you that don't know me, I am not one of the pastors here at Chapelwood, but I am enrolled in seminary and I'm a candidate for ordination. So hopefully someday, in many years, I will become a pastor. That's what I'm looking forward to. But in the meantime, I do get to preach occasionally, and I want to thank Peter and Josh for that opportunity. Although I do notice I tend to preach on national holidays. <laughs> so, not sure what that's about. But uh, I want to start, uh, start us off today with a little bit different, uh, different way. I want to have a little congregation participation. Y'all look kind of worried a little bit. <laughs> It's not going to be bad. We're going to play the word association game. Have you played that? And how that's going to work is I'm going to say a word, and then whatever image pops into your mind after I say that word, I want you to hold on to that thought. Hold on to that image. Okay? And one more thing. I'd like you to close your eyes while we do this. Now y'all really look weary. <laughs> Go ahead. It's fine. Go ahead. Close your eyes, and we'll get started. So the first word is sunset. What comes to your mind when I say sunset? What emotions does that bring up? What about, a little more difficult now, what about God the Father? What is your mental image of God? How about God the Son, a.k.a. Jesus, by the way? What does Jesus look like to you? What does Jesus sound like to you? And finally, you probably know where I'm going with this, God the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit look like to you? And what does the Holy Spirit feel like to you? Hold on to that last image and open your eyes. Friends, last week was Pentecost. And I thought Pastor Josh did a great job explaining to us and teaching a little bit about why the theology, why having a theology of the Holy Spirit matters. Why we should preach it, why we should teach it, why we should talk about it. And I can only echo that by saying, if we only talk about God and we only talk about Jesus, we're leaving out a full third of the Trinity. That we're leaving our picture of God incomplete. 
And that's to our own detriment. That there's so much more there that we could, we could be talking about and thinking about and incorporating into our walk with God. And that when we do that, when we lock ourselves away from the Holy Spirit, we really affect our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And so we should, spend, we should spend time talking about the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And a great place to start is in the text that we have today. The text that we have today comes from John. It occurs in a part of John that we call the Last Discourse. And the Last Discourse is during the Last Supper, and it's sort of Jesus' farewell address, if you will. It's the last time he has all the disciples together in one place. And it's the last time that he gets to talk to them before the arrest, before the trial, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. And I think sometimes we talk about the, la we talk about the last discourse, and the last discourse, that's a bloodless term to me. That's an academic term. And we miss some of the emotional content or the emotional tone of what's going on. So I want to paint that picture for you a little bit. And in fact, I encourage you this week, sit down and, and take, it, take down your Bible and read John 13 to 17. And that's the, uh, that's the story of the Last Supper and the Last Discourse. And when you're reading that, pay particular attention to all the emotions that are happening. And what you'll find, first of all, <clears throat> a little bit of a spoiler here, but the Last Supper was not a happy occasion, right? No one is having fun at the Last Supper. It's a very somber, a very dark uh, situation. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's about to be killed. And he wants to try to prepare the disciples, but the disciples are so worried, they're so beside themselves with fear, with stress, that they're having trouble even understanding what Jesus is talking about. And I get a sense that Jesus looks around, he looks around at the table of these, these men that are his best friends, the ones that he spent three years of his life getting to know and walking with. And he sees their pain, he sees their struggle, and he wants to offer them a word of comfort and a word of encouragement. And that's when he begins to speak. And during that talk, that's when this beautiful and wonderful promise, Jesus gives them this promise. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. Now, we should dig into this a little bit. Uh, the Advocate, the Advocate has a capital A, so that must mean it's important. It's a title. And it's really the first time we've kind of heard about this Advocate in John. And so it makes sense to, what is, to ask, what is Jesus even talking about? And as you know, you do know that the New Testament was not written in English, right? Yes. It's written in ancient Greek. And a lot of times, uh, translators, English translators, will really struggle to fit the right English word with the ancient Greek word, and they don't always line up just right. And that's particularly true of the word that 
underlies advocate. So let's look at that for a minute. <clears throat> By the way, seminarians are required to have one Greek word per sermon. <laughs> it's in our contract. That's not true. Though, sorry. <clears throat> sorry. Anyway, advocate. Underneath, underneath there is the Greek word parakletos. Can you say that with me? Parakletos. I might have said it differently in first service. <laughs> Parakletos. And advocate is only one of the translations. There's many translations, and we'll show those in a minute. But a lot of English translators just give up on this word. It's so hard. It's so rich. There's so many meanings to it. They, they just make an English word out of it. And that English word is paraclete. So paraclete, not parakeet. I had a couple of people, I had a couple of people ask me about that if, after first service. I said, no, not parakeet, paraclete. Okay? The paraclete. And the paraclete is another title for the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that sometimes, paraclete with a capital P. But there's also many other translations, and I found at least 12. At least 12, there's lots more probably. Other translations for paraclete, advocate, counselor, comforter, friend, patron, teacher, helper, guide, instructor, encourager, I'm out of fingers, companion, and mentor. All of this and more is connotated by the word paraclete. Now, friends, a lot of times I struggle with the idea of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit really like? What does the Holy Spirit really do? And that, that's a difficult concept to think about. But, friends, I know what these things are. I know what these things are because there's been people in my life that have been these things to me. There's people in this room that have been these things to me. I have teachers in this congregation. I have a former basketball coach. My parents are here. There's people in my life that have been advocates, that have been teachers, mentors, patrons. So I know, I understand intuitively what that means. So I would submit to you, when we think about what the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, maybe a way to think about it is you take all the people in your life that have been these things to you, that have been an advocate, a counselor, all those. You take all those, you wrap them all together, put them all together, and you multiply by like a billion, and that's who God wants to be in your life. That's who God wants to be in your life, is all of this and more. And that's a mind-blowing idea to me. Just blows my socks off. And that has profound implications on the way we think about God and the way we think about other people. Does, does this change the way you think about the Holy Spirit at all? Because I know it did for me. I'm going to tell a little, <clears throat> little story on myself. When I was a young adult, my mental image of God was the divine king on the throne. I always imagined this enormous golden throne. Now that's not an incorrect picture of God, but it is an incomplete picture of God. And I imagine the will of God was written on a golden scroll up in heaven. 
And it had lists of things that I was to do. I call it the divine to-do list. And friends, I believed that if I was knocking stuff off the list, if I was doing what God required, I was being good. I was being righteous. And if I wasn't knocking things off the list, I was not being righteous. It shouldn't surprise you when I tell you that that was a very difficult way to live with God. And it was spiritually exhausting. And very soon I had burnout. I had spiritual burnout. But over time I was able to allow my mental image of God to develop with some good mentors, including Pastor Peter. And it helped me to see that the will of God is not really like that. And it occurs to me on Jazz Sunday, (laughs) now disclaimer, guys, I know nothing about music, like nothing. So, you know, I, I enter on this metaphor with trepidation, so please show me grace. But nevertheless, on Jazz Sunday, it occurs to me that I was treating God and God's will like that German conductor that mean German conductor who says, you've got to play the music just as written or else. And maybe God's will is more like jazz. It's more like jazz music. And now in jazz music doesn't mean you can play whatever you want at any time you want. It doesn't give you license to just do whatever. But it does give you freedom. It gives you freedom to play within the theme, within the structure, within the rhythm of the song. And it gives you freedom to have variation and collaboration and creativity. And so friends, I would submit that that is a much more positive and more healthy way to think about the will of God. And it all comes from this idea of the paraclete, of who the Holy Spirit wants to be within us in our lives. It gives us freedom. It gives us a tremendous freedom. God doesn't want to put us into a box. The will of God is not a box that we're supposed to force ourselves into. It's a freedom. It's a freedom to do the best, to to, to be our best self. Just like any good parent, that's what God wants. God wants us to be our best self. And as Christians, we're called to the world around us. We're we're called to be forces of good in the world around us. The United Methodist Church says our mission is the making of disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Here at Chapelwood, we say our, our mission is to raise a generation in faith. And often the analogy we use for that is we say we should be the hands and feet of Christ. The hands and feet of Christ. And for, I don't know about for you, but for me that was somewhat abstract. What does it mean to be the hands and feet of Christ? So I would point back to this, is maybe we're called to be paracletes to other people. Just as God, Holy Spirit, is our great paraclete, with a capital P, we're supposed to be paracletes to each other, small p. And we know what that is. Again, we know what that is. I know what that is because people have been that in my life. And people have probably, hopefully, been that to you in your life. And so we can pass it on. 
So who in your life, friends, could, be, could you be an advocate to or a friend or a mentor? I want to end with the same way we began with the word association game. So please close your eyes just one more time. And bring to mind someone in your life, or maybe someone you haven't even met yet. Who in your life is God calling you to be a paraclete to? Who in your life can you be an advocate, a friend, a mentor, an encourager? And I encourage you to think outside of your circle. Think outside of your local community. It could be something, someone across the country. It could be someone across the globe. Do you have someone in mind? Do you have an image firmly fixed in your mind of someone that you could be a paraclete to? If so, then go, filled with the awesome power of our holy paraclete. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.